with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we are back today to preview week three of the 2018 college football season and react to a great weekend of college football. We had some great games, some that went down to the wire. We had some upsets. We had some big-time performances. There's a lot to discuss. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where, as always, I chat with NFL Draft insider Tony Pauline to give us the latest and greatest around the college football landscape. We've got some unfortunate injuries to discuss, some great performances that could get some stock on the rise and a few more things to hit on so Tony will update us on all of that after draft buzz we then transition to scouting report where this week I'll review my notes on one of my favorite safeties in the country Juan Thornhill from Virginia I've been on this kid for a few years now he's a guy with high upside that I think has a bright future in the NFL I'll explain why in my notes in that segment after that we'll get to Mr. Relevant where this week I was really excited to be joined by Pete Sampson who covers the University of Notre Dame for the Athletic to talk about the Irish and the big names coming out of that program at the end of the season. Next up, we've got Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennel returns from his trip to the desert to discuss Arizona State versus Michigan State, and we'll find out where he's heading this Saturday. Then we wrap things up on our draft mailbag, where I'll take some questions or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. We've got a ton going on this week, so let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some draft buzz. Now it's time for draft buzz. Please once again to be joined by my friend Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com, the lead NFL Draft Insider you will find in the entire United States of America. Tony, welcome back to the Journey to the Draft podcast. It's Draft Buzz. Last week, it was Washington star Trey Adams with the very unfortunate injury news being added to his already like long laundry list of medical history concerns. This week, it's Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson, a talented runner with the Sooners. You and I actually talked about him just last week. He was mocked to the Eagles in a recent mock draft. He's going to miss the year now with the knee injury the school announced on Sunday. What can you tell us about the situation? Very unfortunate. I I hope personally that he goes back and we see another another year of him at the college level. But uh, what have you heard? What can you tell us about Rodney Anderson moving forward? had a conversation with somebody close to the situation yesterday. They tell me it's not a complete tear of the knee ligament. That's yet to be confirmed, but that's what the word is. So it means that it's not as severe as if it was a, a, a total tear. Uh, they feel there's a very good chance that Anderson's going to enter the draft at, uh, this season, so he'll, be, he'll make himself available for the 2019 draft. Obviously, there's been no final decision, but the belief is uh, around his camp, you know, What's the sense of going back? If he comes out this year, he's probably going to be a third, maybe a fourth-round draft pick. If he goes back and plays the 2019 season, you know maybe he has a good year. He improves to a second or first-round choice, but he still you know, could potentially injure himself again or, or hurt that knee again. So there is a belief right now that, number one, it's not a complete tear, which is a good thing. And the feeling is, is there's a very good chance that he, he will still enter the draft. I know before the season began... He was speaking at length with representatives, with agents, and all the signs pointed to him entering the draft. So that's what I'm hearing is a possibility as of right now. Yeah, it's just a shame because, you know, the last year was his first fully healthy season. He started 7 of 14 games for Oklahoma. Obviously, they went on that playoff run with Baker Mayfield. The year before that, he missed the entire season with a neck injury he sustained in the summer. The year before that, it was like a left fibula and like torn tendons in his left ankle. So, you know, injuries concerns have been a, a major issue with this kid going back uh, to when he first stepped on campus. That first injury, that leg injury happened on his first collegiate carry. So, uh, just hoping that he could stay healthy and, and come back because he's a very talented runner. Uh, we mentioned Trey Adams, and last week on the show, Tony, you were kind of ahead of the curve on the podcast. You reported that the word was Trey Adams was likely to need surgery to repair that back injury that forced him to miss week one. What does that mean? That had been confirmed. What does that mean now over the course of the next five months for a guy like Trey Adams? You know, I think, unfortunately, he's sort of in a no-win situation. I mean... Reasonable when you when you think about it, it's to his advantage to go back to school because if he enters the 2019 draft, that really means that he hasn't played football uh, since October of 2016. That's when he tore the knee ligament against Arizona State, so he really hasn't played any pad of football for any competitive football for 
uh, what will be uh, a year and a half. Uh, but then again, if he goes, if he does go back, I mean, he's got that long injury history. It, it's a very tough situation. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we may, we we still may see him on the field this year, and we'll see see if he returns the field how he plays. Um, so you got to see if he returns this year, and then he's going to have a big decision to make. If he returns to the field this year and plays and is able to play a couple of games, uh, he's definitely. I think he's definitely going to enter the draft. If he doesn't play at all this year, uh, it's going to be a tough. Uh, he's going to have to do a lot of thinking, and they're going to have to do a lot of research. He's definitely going to drop if he enters the draft and he doesn't play. It's just a matter of uh, where does he drop to, and and is he happy with that? The the medical aspect of it is always just it's interesting to follow, and I definitely get it from both sides. I I'm always a proponent of a guy staying in school as long as possible and enjoying the college experience. But we'll see what happens both with Anderson and with Trey Adams. So uh, let's get back to the field now, and you know a game that uh, you and I talked about a little bit last week, and a team that you and I have talked about at length a little bit on this podcast: Kentucky and Florida. Kentucky goes on the road; uh, they upset the Florida Gators. I know that there was one player performance that really stood out to you most in that game who was it and why should we be excited about this guy well it was absolutely josh allen you know because as we said in one of the early podcasts when you asked me to compare him to one of his one of his teammates i said josh allen is a great prospect because he has those measurables he's got terrific size he's very athletic he's fast he just has to develop he has to transition those physical skills into on the field production and learn to become a linebacker and he's showing he's doing exactly that. You know, against Florida, yeah, I believe he had five sacks, one tackle for loss, one sack, a pass breakup. The sack came at the end of the game when he went around the left tackle, Martez Ivy, who was considered a middle-round choice. Uh, basically just beat him around the edge, forced the fumble, which Kentucky picked up and brought back into the end zone for a touchdown. You can see the pieces coming together uh, for Josh Allen. You can see the fact that he's becoming a three-down defender, not just the guy who plays up the line of scrimmage and pins his ears back and rushes the quarterback. He can drop off the line. He can play in space. He can play in coverage. He's got a lot of improvement in that area, but you can see the arrow is pointing in the right direction. And you know, there were some people who were surprised that I gave him a first round grade coming into the season. You're starting to see why. He's basically uh, becoming not just a great athlete who plays football. He's becoming he's a great athlete who's learning to become a very good football player. A lot of dominance and. A lot of completeness in this game. You know, it's not just a in the box, rush the pass a guy, defending the run well, as I said, dropping back in the coverage, the pass defense, uh, against a, a Florida offense that's pretty good. I mean, Florida, the, the Florida offense, they've got a lot of weapons. They're very quick. They're explosive. They spread it out. Uh, and Allen would prove to be up to the task on Saturday night. Yeah, it's it's just interesting because you know I watch I haven't watched any of Kentucky or any of Josh Allen yet from this year, but watching him on film from last year, I didn't see a first round player. I saw a kind of a guy that was used in a lot of different ways, like you mentioned. He, he plays in the run game. He's a pass rusher. He can drop back in coverage. Kind of a jack of all trades, but master of none. Like I saw a guy who was better athlete than football player. Hadn't put it all together yet. So I'm interested and I'm very intrigued to see that you know we've seen the production not just this week, but then last week as well. I actually wrote about him uh, this week in my Saturday scouting article uh, and talked about how you know the, the arrows pointing up, and, and we'll see. This was a big matchup for him against Florida, and I actually picked the, the Wildcats to go on the road and win in the swamp uh, in that article. So I was happy to see them come out on top. I was happy to see Allen come away with the big play. I'm excited to really kind of dig deeper into his film this year and, and see if he can kind of live up to some of those expectations. And, you know, one other matchup I was really excited to see from this past weekend was Stanford-USC and see Bryce Love, see if he can bounce back after a disappointing Week 1 performance against USC, that middle linebacker Cameron Smith, who's kind of a throwback thumper there for the Trojans in the middle of that defense. But Let's focus in on Bryce Love. You know, I mentioned you had those two erratic performances. You have uh, over 100 yards and a touchdown this past week against USC in the rivalry game. The week before against San Diego State, he was like under two yards a carry. It was like 18 for 34 or something along those lines against the Aztecs. How do you think teams are viewing him at this stage of the process? Because I think Bryce Love, at his size, is a little bit polarizing, certainly one of the best college players in the country, but what does he look like in terms of his future NFL prospects? I guess that's the question is, how are teams viewing him at this stage? Yeah, well, you know, first the first point is, I, I don't think that bad performances are going to hurt Bryce Love's draft stock, because if you watch 
especially the San Diego State game and, and a little bit to the USC game, I mean, teams are stacking the box. They're basically saying to Stanford, beat us with your passing game because they know that Bryce Love is the only offensive threat that the Cardinal offense has. Uh, and the performance against uh, against USC was tremendous because USC has got some terrific, you mentioned Cameron Smith, they got a couple other guys, Marvell Tell, the safety, uh, uh, terrific run-defending safety. Uh, they've got a good run defense, and, and Bryce Holes was able to poke holes through it. Now, again, I, I think the way they project him is, you know, he's going to have to be in, in a, uh, a short uh, a passing offense or a short passing offense that doesn't require him to carry the ball 15, 20 times a game. That's what I'm hearing. You know, you don't want him to, you don't want to overwork the guy because of his frame, because of the fact that, as, as we've spoken about before, uh, when his senior year is over at Stanford, he's probably going to have more than 600 carries under his belt on the college level, and that's a lot of mileage. So, a, a situation where it's more creative, where you're, you're getting him the ball in space, some toss sweeps, uh, something you, you're going to run him on the inside on the interior on occasion, but it's not going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers type of offense where you want that grinder, you want that pounder down the middle. I know the Eagles uh, have had success with that type of back last year. It's going to be a situation where it's going to be more, you know, five times, you know, I want to say Christian McCaffrey to this point or what people projected Christian McCaffrey to be when he entered the league, a guy who maybe may carry the ball five or six times on the interior, five or six times around the, uh, around the uh, tackle and then you're throwing the ball uh, a half a dozen times. So it's going to be an offense that really does not rely on a big back, rather a back that can do a lot of things, a multi-purpose back where they mix it up. Tony, let's uh, look one more time back at this past weekend's worth of action. We'll stay in the Pac-12. We actually got a question on Twitter from uh, Rob Statton on Twitter who asks, uh, what's the ceiling for Steven Montez, the quarterback from Colorado, uh, if he continues his great start to the season? Uh, Colorado with a big win this past week. I didn't watch the game. Obviously, I saw the highlights of it, and I know that it went down to the wire, a great back-and-forth battle. Uh, thoughts on Steven Montez? I know that that's a guy, like I said, that, it, that you're fond of in this process. Very much so. First, uh, as I am Rob Stanton, the guy who asked the question. You know, Rob, he, he writes for the Seattle Seahawks. I do his podcast once a year. And, and Rob, Rob Stanton's actually from, uh, I believe, from or near Wolverhampton in England. A big fan of the Wolverhampton Wolverines. And, and you know whose favorite soccer team that is, uh, Fran, don't you? Uh, i got to say that if I'm going to guess, it's Robert Plant. Exactly, uh, exactly, my man. That's why we. That's why we work so well together. Of course, Rob has promised to get me a Robert Plant autograph if he ever, if he ever sees him at one of those uh, soccer games. But anyway, back to the question, uh, Stephen Montez. Uh, I, I think when, you, when I watched Stephen Montez off the 2017 film, and I compared him to the quarterbacks that were in the 2017 draft, the top guys: Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think the only guy whose physical skills were better than Montez with Josh Allen. He's got all those great physical skills. He's got the arm to make all the throws. He can drive the ball down the field. He easily gets the deep pass uh, downfield with speed on the move. It was just a matter of be- going from becoming a thrower to a passer. And that's what he's starting to do. That's what he's shown to do in the first two games, the victory over Colorado State, the tough win, basically they pulled that win out against Nebraska with that deep 40-yard pass when he threw it on the outside shoulder of the receiver, got it to him downfield. I mean, right now I think Steven Montez is probably a third-round pick. If he continues to progress, you know, is the first round out of the question? Absolutely not. I mean, he's got all the physical measurables that teams want. So I absolutely think that first round is a consideration for Steven Montez if he continues to progress and become a passer, we're a long way from that. But you know how quarterbacks are always overdrafted. And you know how when coaches see these guys who are big, who can make all the throws, and really who, for the most part, have it going on between the ears. And Montez fits that bill. He's just got to continue to progress. He's got tremendous upside. I'm going to say right now, third round. But if he continues to head in the right direction, I don't think top 45 is out of the question. Yeah, and I, I know our friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films has watched some of, of uh, Steven Montez and a lot of the other quarterbacks in the class. We'll have Greg on in the next few weeks. 
Um, and Greg has said that he's been pretty impressed with what he's seen from Steven Montez as well. So uh, definitely a name to keep an eye on down the road. Um, let's look ahead to this week, Tony. Uh, big matchup in the SEC. We've got a couple big matchups in the SEC. Uh, LSU-Auburn is always a fun game, but I know you're excited to watch Alabama-Ole Miss. What exactly are you most excited to see from that game in particular? Yeah, the battle on the uh, line of scrimmage, specifically the Mississippi, Mississippi offensive line versus the Alabama defensive line. You know, you look at Greg Little, the left tackle from Mississippi, third-year junior, who I'm told is very likely going to enter the draft, will be the first tackle taken in the 2019 draft as far as uh, on my board as of right now. He's going up against two monsters uh, in Alabama, two guys who, one in Roquan Davis, an underclassman who I expect to enter the draft, will be a first-round pick. Another guy, senior Isaiah Bugs, received a high grade from scouts, could be a late first-round pick. Both of those guys are... You know, your prototypical Alabama defensive ends. They're fast, they're explosive, they're athletic, they've got outstanding strength. It's going to be a major battle for Greg Little. I mean, this is something that scouts are really going to focus on, especially teams that want a left tackle, want to upgrade a left tackle. Left tackle is a priority position uh, come the NFL draft, as is defensive line. And really, you've got three of the best in Roquan Davis of Alabama, Isaiah Bugs of Alabama, and Greg Little uh, Mississippi, who at some point in time throughout the four quarters will be going head-to-head. After that, you got to look at uh, Quinnen Williams of Alabama, third-year sophomore, defensive tackle, nose tackle, who was really starting to take off his draft stock. I thought uh, I had him as a fourth-round pick coming into the season. He's shown a, a lot thus far in the early two games, although both games have been kind of cream puffs for Alabama. Mississippi's got a very good interior offensive lineman by the name of Javon Patterson, an offensive guard who I believe is going to be a fourth-round pick, maybe a third-round choice. Uh, that's going to be a situation where they go head-to-head. A lot of NFL talent on, uh, on those, uh, in those battles between the uh, Mississippi offensive line and the Alabama defensive line. going to be a fun game, fun game and fun matchup to watch. Yeah, I expect that uh, Isaiah Bugs will be matched up mostly on uh, Greg Little. I agree, both those guys are, are really fun players to watch. And Raekwon Davis, they move him around, um, so he'll get his share uh, of Greg Little as well. Davis, I mean, he reminds me of like DeForest Buckner, just with his size and his movement, uh, what he looks like at the point of attack. He's a lot of fun to watch. And Bugs, he's kind of more like a Jonathan Allen type, like kind of shorter and squattier, but athletic he's got that quick first step but he's got a skill set to defend the run that's a really good Alabama front I agree it's going to be a fun one to watch in the trenches uh as always Tony we're always going to wrap things up with a little mock draft roundup we'll look around the country we'll pick a mock draft and uh see who they have the Eagles selecting and we're going to go to cbssports.com uh Chris Trapasso put out a, a mock draft this week he's got the Eagles picking 31st overall not going to knock him for not having his 32 but uh we've got Alabama safety Deontay Thompson we'll stay with the Crimson Tide Thompson's a guy that, uh, just for some background for the listeners, he didn't start much at all last year until those final until those playoff games because they had some injuries in the secondary. He stepped in. I know he's shown some great flashes, Tony. From what we've seen so far, both early this year and then late last year, do you feel like Thompson uh, in the future, whether it's in 2019 or 2020, yeah, down the road, that he's a first-round talent or do you think he's more day two, day three? Yeah, right now I think he's more day two. I think it's a major reach to consider him a first-round talent, although you know you could basically make the argument that the 31st pick is almost a second-round pick. But even still, I mean, you know, he's shown some flashes two games into the season. He's had 11 tackles, one interception, nothing great. You know, it's not the Minka Fitzpatrick. It's not even the Ronnie Harrison uh, sort of flashes or game-changing ability at this point in time. Is he an NFL prospect? Absolutely. We'll have to see how it goes moving forward. But right now, I think he's more of a last-day guy. Could develop into a second-day type of prospect. I think round one is, is a significant reach for him. Maybe they're just doing it because he's an Alabama safety. And Alabama safeties have had so much success in the NFL draft. It could be that this is just the next one. I just don't see it at, that, at this point in time. Yeah, I can't say that I've done any work yet on Deontay Thompson, so uh, I can't really offer my opinion. But, Tony, once again, appreciate the time as always here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. Sounds good. 
Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's Nose content you're looking for, they will be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. Our updated draft page, by the way, just went live last week. So that's a good one-stop shop for all of our college football content, video, print, audio. It's all there. I'll just go to News and then Draft Draft Central, and you'll see all of that content. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I'd break down Virginia safety Juan Thornhill, one of the top senior defensive backs in the country, at least based off who I've seen so far up to this point. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Juan Thornhill, six foot one. 212 pounds. He was third-team All-ACC last year at corner for the Cavaliers, and he could have declared for the 2018 draft. There was some buzz that he could, but he chose to go back to school. He was on the Senior Bowl watch list last month. Uh, It's important to know He's been a corner with the Cavaliers over his entire career. They've constantly talked about, oh, this will be the year we're going to move him to safety. But for one reason or another, he always ended up back on the perimeter. Led the team in picks a couple of years ago. Going back to high school, he was a safety and a quarterback at that level. So he does have some safety experience. And he was actually, by the way, a fantastic high school men's basketball player as well. Scored 1,000 points, won three state titles in the hardwood. On the gridiron, though, we've got a kid who's entering his third year, third year as a starter in Nick Hall's Three four schemes. Spent most of his time at corner on the left side, but he did get some starts at right corner as well throughout the course of his career. Tall, lanky, long, skinny limbs, fluid athlete that looks light in his feet, and he changes direction with relative ease at all levels of the field. He's got the burst to close quickly on the football. He's got smooth feet in his pedal through his pad. And though his pads are a bit high, his cornerback background really will serve him well at the free safety spot as a senior. He's got plenty of experience in press coverage. He's aggressive with his two-hand jam, and he's got the length to disrupt receivers early in the down. Even if he misses on that jam early, he displays enough recovery speed and the ability to turn and run with receivers vertically so him being able to play man-to-man against bigger slots or against tight ends that's all certainly on the table with this kid he improved his ability to mirror and match throughout the uh, through the route as a junior his reaction quickness looked much better and he was able to hip pocket with college receivers on the perimeter remember it's not just about athleticism to play in man coverage you also have to have those route recognition skills the ability to stay in a receiver's hip pocket immediately at the top of the route he's showed improved ability to be able to do that over the course of his career. He's got a good knack for finding the football in the air. He shoots his hands through the catch point and he can get to the football on the ground and he's not bashful at all against the run. He will come downhill and make a tackle on the flat. He'll lay a receiver out downfield, used as a blitzer as well from the boundary. Those are the positives. From a negative standpoint, when he's not two-hand jamming, he can get caught a little bit off balance, and he'll need some refinement there and press coverage at the line of scrimmage, especially if if some teams view him as a corner, which I'm sure there will be some. He can be a little bit quick to open his hips and get flipped around mid-route. He's given up some plays downfield during his career where he was just a little bit undisciplined with his technique early, and he doesn't have outstanding recovery speed, so to get back in phase was a little bit of a struggle for him, Um, and sometimes he'll be a little bit late to find the football. So those are the issues with him at corner. He can get a little bit grabby, especially early in his career. I mentioned he got a little bit better with that over the course of his junior season, and he's not really a thumper who's going to intimidate opponents. He's not going to be a true box safety at the next level as much as aggressive as he is. He's just not built that way. Overall, though, this is a lanky safety with corner skills, free safety athleticism. I'm anxious to see his transition full-time to safety this year because, again, he's got corner skills thanks to those that athleticism. I think it's a good combination. I thought he flashed against the run, but he'll see it from a completely different angle this year. Potential there to be very, very good, but I need to see more before I really say I'm going to stamp him as a high-level starter and a first-round pick right now. I could just see him being a riser with a strong performance this year as a senior. I actually compared him in my notes to former Alabama free safety Eddie Jackson, who, like Thornhill, had an extensive cornerback background, made the switch to safety late in his career. They've got similar body types, I think similar skill sets as well. I was very high on Eddie Jackson, thought he was a top 50 talent a couple of years ago. He's turned into a solid starter for the Chicago Bears. So there's a lot to like about Juan Thornhill. I'm excited to follow him over the course of the rest of this season, but let's keep things rolling here. I was excited to be joined by Pete Sampson from The Athletic on Mr. Relevant to talk about some of the top players for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and get some much-needed background info. Let's get to that chat right now. 
It's time for Mr. Relevant. Really happy to be joined by Notre Dame football beat writer Pete Sampson, who covers the team for The Athletic. You can follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore. Pete, welcome back to the show. It's been a couple of years, but pleased to have you back. And, and let's start with this Notre Dame Fighting Irish defense, which has been just so impressive through the first couple of games, uh, particularly week one against Michigan. Which player, honestly, has shined the most in your eyes from that side of the ball based off of your, uh, your preconceived notions coming into this, uh, this football season? Yeah, I think that the best player is Tavon Coney, the middle linebacker, who's a senior, made a, a draft decision to come back. I, I think the most improved player probably is Khaled Kareem. He's your strong side defensive end. Uh, it, you know, was kind of a rotational guy last year, but at times has frankly looked unblockable against Michigan and Ball State, and neither of those offensive lines are, are the, some of the best ones that Notre Dame will face this year, but to get a pass rush out of really all four positions and then he moves inside when they play sort of a speed nickel package where he's playing a defensive tackle, um, he is really sort of, I think, enhanced all four defensive linemen just by getting more pass rush out of that position. So it's uh, Tony's the best player, but I think Khalid Kareem, the defensive end, is probably the most improved. Yeah, I uh, so I, I actually told the story on the podcast a few weeks ago, but uh, at the Combine this year out in Indianapolis, I talked with uh, with Darius Geis, uh, the running back from LSU, coming off of his podium from after his press conference, and I said real quickly, I said, you know, Darius, who's the best player you faced this year? And he said it was Tavon Coney. I didn't know much about Tavon Coney, and so I, you know, once once I got into the post draft process from this past draft and started looking at, I wanted to make sure he was one of the first players I watched. And I could see why. Like, and and Darius talked about, you know, he was he was just really physical. And any linebacker, any opponent that's going to try and match me from a physical standpoint, I could definitely appreciate that. And uh, and he was right. I mean, Coney is a, a ferocious player, downhill, instinctive kid. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's done so far this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the LSU game was a perfect showcase for him because it was in Florida, his home state, but the weather was very South Bendy. It was like 40 degrees and raining. And he had 17 tackles in that game. I, I think their their defensive coordinator has admitted to me that you know you're you're sitting there after the game thinking like, did Coney just play his way out of a senior year? Is he going to go pro right now? Um, but to, to get him back in the middle of the defense, he's, I believe he's at 24 tackles through two games. Has led the team in both in tackles both weeks. Um, had a sack last weekend. Had a fumble recovery that iced the game. Uh, that. Uh, Jerry Tillery Force, who's a, another sort of one of their best players on defense. So it's um, Notre Dame's personnel defensively is um, sort of breaking out of the cliche of no team speed, not physical, that kind of stuff that you hear a little bit. Um, I think it's kind of lazy analysis of Notre Dame because it's just it maybe was true during the White era or uh, Willingham era at times, but. They have really good athletes on the defensive side of the ball right now, uh, and it's not just um, you know the corners or the safeties. It's you know right up the gut. They've got a really strong spine of this defense. Yeah, you you watch that Michigan game. Those guys flying around on that side of the ball. It's definitely not a question. So, Pete, you've been on the show a couple times over the last few years, and uh, you know I'm usually hunting for those little nuggets about what these guys are like personally. How are they away from the field? How teammates like them? How coaches view them? I think there's such great value in that kind of information. And with the Irish. I feel like you're the best in the media at providing that info. So let me ask you about these two senior linebackers. You talk about Tavon Coney, and obviously he's been so impressive off the field. And then another senior, Drew Tranquil, who uh, I know Drew was a, as a captain this year. But what can you tell me about both of those guys, both off the field? And then Coney as well, he's really kind of made, made, started to make that name for himself from a national standpoint about Coney and Tranquil. What are those two guys like away from the field? Coney's an interesting guy. I'm, I'm writing a sort of a, a bigger feature on him for next week on The Athletic. And I mean, he's a kid who came from public school in Florida, didn't really project well to Notre Dame in terms of a school that Notre Dame had recruited before at Palm Beach Gardens. Had a Notre Dame fan on the coaching staff who sort of got him interested in Notre Dame. And he was one of those kids that has been described to me as the kids down there, they either want to stay in Florida their whole life or they want to get the heck out of there and do something else. And Coney was in the second group. So. He was he's a guy that was interested in sort of getting outside of his comfort zone. He's gotten into a little bit of trouble up here. He was arrested uh, for marijuana possession before his sophomore year um, in training camp and sort of 
has come to terms with, you know what, I need to hang around with better people. Uh, and he's, he's changed that a little bit about his, his life routine. I think he's, he's a kid who's really grown up a lot in the last year. And I, you know, some of these anecdotes mean something and some of them don't. But I don't know of too many high school or college seniors who decide to venture into dog ownership. I mean, that's sort of like a uh, something you do when you're in your mid-20s, not your early 20s. But he got a dog. Um, he just sort of like keeps to himself now. He's, he's, he's much more of an all-business guy. Uh, and so he's, it's just an interesting dynamic there of a guy who came to Notre Dame, didn't really know anybody or anything about how to fit in here. It took him some time, but uh, you see him. He's graduated in seventh semester, so he's already graduated from Notre Dame because he enrolled early. Um, just a kid who's grown up a lot. I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch. Drew Tranquil is a totally different story. He's a kid who showed up here and was incredibly mature from when he arrived. He got married in the soft season. Um, he's just, you always felt like you're talking to a kid who's 28 years old from when he was 18 through today. Uh, so now he's a fifth year senior. He's on his third position. He's had to come back from two ACL surgeries, on, one on each knee. So that's significant. Uh, and this is his first year playing inside linebacker. He was sort of a rover hybrid player last year with a safety before that. Was ultra productive last year. Two time, and now he's a captain for a second year. I think he's sort of settling into an inside linebacker type of role now. Um, I think he'll get better as the season goes on. But pretty much he came back for a fifth year to play football for free because he knew he would be an inside linebacker in the pros and needed to have a year of tape of playing inside linebackers. So I think there's some pretty good self-awareness there. But I think Drew Tranquil is a guy who's going to be a pro for a long time. If for no other reason, then he can help you on all your special teams for about 10 years, and you don't have to think twice about him. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff on both those guys. And really interesting just to see kind of the, the arc there for Tavon Coney and just how he's progressed uh, off the field over the last few years. Uh, let's rewind a couple of years, Pete, because back in 2015, you came on the show for the first time and I asked you about any young guys on this Irish team that had high upside and whose name we'd be hearing about down the road for NFL draft purposes. You told me about this freshman defensive tackle, Jerry Tillery, talented kid, coaches spoke highly of him, and you told me, quote-unquote, he's a one-of-a-kind kid thanks to his bright, engaging personality. Still feel the same way about Jerry Tillery? How has he kind of developed away from the field? He's definitely one-of-a-kind personality. I mean, there's, I definitely feel the same way about that. I think what's been interesting to watch with Tillery is how engaged he's been with football now versus maybe – earlier or maybe a better way to put that is he's found a better balance between the two i think he's traveled to south africa germany ireland japan he goes to hawaii kind of regularly he's really like a globetrotter and i think early in his career his focus football was just something that he did and now he sees football it's like okay i'm gonna make quite a bit of money playing this i need to be more focused on this than maybe i have been in the past so i think he's just been a a happier place when it comes to balancing football and all his outside interests. You know, I think in the NFL, sometimes that's a negative. People just want you to be about all football all the time, and I don't think he's ever going to be that way. Um, but I do think he's he's gotten a better balance between football and everything else he wants to do in life, which is a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea about the the world traveler stuff. That's that's some interesting stuff with uh, with Jerry Taylor. Great player on the field by the way just really really disruptive uh he's been a lot of fun to watch over the last two years um another guy who's had a a really interesting career arc and you and i talked about him the last time we spoke at that point he was still alizé jones now he's alizé mack uh very talented tight end one of the more physically gifted players at the position in the entire country what's your feel on him i know he missed a year due to the academic issue um how is he viewed in the in the building based off of what you've you know seen and heard pete Honestly, I feel like he's still a bit of an enigma, and it's been frustrating at times for the coaches. He made a, a huge catch against Michigan where he almost it looked like he got knocked out on a targeting call, held onto the ball, uh, but then had a drop later in the game, um, was somewhat productive against Ball State. But I think it's just with him, it's almost like you don't know what you're going to get on a day-to-day basis. You may get great Alizé Mack one day and then sort of unfocused, Alizé Mack the next, and you just never really know what's coming. Um, I think it's a little bit frustrating for the coaches up here, but 
I mean, you're right in terms of the physical ability. It's outstanding. It's, he's got really off-the-charts, detached, tight-end athleticism. Um, it's how it gets applied every day in practice and every weekend in games, regardless of the opponent. So he's got – I mean, this is a contract year for him. He needs to play a lot better than he's played or performed the last three years. If he does, have a chance to, to be in the NFL for a little bit. If he doesn't, then I'm not really sure where that would leave him because he's, he's got a ton of athleticism. It's just the, it is not firing and engaged at all times, and I think that's a, a little bit concerning for the staff here. I've actually never heard anybody uh, talk about a college kid in a contract year, and I couldn't help but laugh when you said that. It's and it's all is a very valid point, and it's going to be really interesting just to see because uh, this tight end class, there's some nice players, but I think that he's kind of you know him and like Noah Fant from Iowa. There are a couple receiving you know Dawson Knox from Ole Miss. There are a couple receiving options, but not a lot. And I think that Mac has a chance to really stand out. Um, but I agree. I think the, the off-field, it's going to be interesting just to see how teams view him throughout the course of the process. Uh, Pete, this is my favorite question to ask you every year when you have you on. Who's a name or two that we can keep an eye on down the road? Maybe it's a freshman. Maybe it's a red shirt player that's very much off the national radar, the future Jerry Tilleries of the world uh, that could be a big-time prospect in a few years. That's a good question. I think if I had to pick out guys on this roster who aren't playing or are barely playing right now, uh, defensively, Houston Griffith is sort of like a safety nickelback who actually played it quite a bit last weekend. Uh, true freshman, early enrollee. Uh, I, he's the son of Howard Griffith, who played fullback in the NFL for about 12 years, uh, notably with the Broncos, played at Illinois before that. I I think Houston Griffith is, is going to be a star future captain at Notre Dame. Um, Shane Simon is a sort of rover hybrid safety linebacker who I think has a chance to be outstanding. Uh, he's from New Jersey, same high school as Brandon Wimbush. Uh, I think he's definitely somebody to worth track, worth tracking. And then offensively, I think we all want to see what quarterback Cole Jacobic looks like down the road. He is much more of a pro prospect in terms of his build. You know, he's been thrown a pass in college, so it sounds stupid to say he's a pro prospect, but compared to Reese, Golson, um, Wimbush, you know, it's probably, I guess, a little bit closer to Kaiser in terms of how big he is, but I think he's more mobile. Um, will that all come together, and can you get a six foot five, 220-pound super athlete quarterback with a great arm working in this offense if that happens I think he's somebody who's got a chance um, to maybe project beyond Notre Dame but I want to see him actually take a college snap before I uh, put that on record too seriously you can follow him on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore Pete appreciate the time as always here on the journey of the draft podcast if you're not already subscribed to the athletic I think you could it's definitely worth it if you can't already tell from the last 10 minutes or so uh, Pete's information is outstanding Pete appreciate the time here we'll talk to you soon thanks for having me back Interesting stuff there from Pete Sampson. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. It's great support, and I love you all for it. But what we love most here, though, is when we take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and you give us a rating and leave us a comment. I can't say enough, especially with the show just kind of revamping over the last couple of weeks here. That's the best way to give us some support and give us some love. Go on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, rate the show, and leave us a comment. And if you want to leave a question on there, that's the best way. So you want to get on to the draft mailbag or you want to get into this segment, all you have to do is go on, leave a question, leave a rating, and that'll be the best way uh, to get in. I wanted to give some much-deserved love and some much-belated love to John from Denver, who actually went on our Stitcher page, gave us a five-star rating, commented saying how much he loved the podcast. So thanks to John from Denver and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this week in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time once again to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. That's Fennel, two N's, two L's. Ben, let's get things started. You were out in the desert this past week, Arizona State, Michigan State. A little bit, that was the only game, by the way, that I predicted wrongly 
uh, in my Saturday scouting. I went 7-1 and one in predictions for college football this week on Saturday scouting. You gave me one number after the fact that would have swung me to go the other way, and I would have had a perfect week. And then you come and you tell me, oh, well, you know, you should have known. No Big Ten teams ever won on the road in Arizona State. And it's like, what the hell? That's <laughs> like, true. give me a they're little not, bit of help. They're 0-10. Uh, <laughs> Michigan State being upset. They were uh, ranked number 15. They're now down to number 25. And yeah. you also need to know, anytime my ESPN crew shows up in the desert, it's normally going to be upset central. Okay. Uh, they knocked off number 5 Washington last year. That's right. Another night game. The atmosphere gets rocking at night in that stadium. And, uh, you know, they just looked upset a bunch of teams at night there. No question. So uh, let's get started. Obviously, the, the big name prospect I know that you were most excited to see, he's an underclassman. We don't know if he's going to enter 2019. He could be in the 2020 draft. Is the wide receiver, oversized wide receiver from Arizona State, uh, Nikhil Harris. So made some crazy plays back in week one, yards after catch, but a big body dude. What were, what were your impressions seeing him in person and then in the game uh, on film? Yeah, it was great uh, seeing him close up. Uh, they came out very late for warm-ups, which was unusual. Only about 30 minutes to kick off before hmm. they were getting their first warm-ups in. And there was, I want to say, close to 10 or 12 NFL scouts circled around this wide receiver bag on the field, pretty much coming to look at wide receiver one to kill Harry. He had six catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown, but really struggled most of the game. A lot of those yards in the big play touchdown came in the fourth quarter. Michigan State corner Justin Lane, who's a 6'3", 190-pound, four-star receiver, converted to corner, very much like Tony Lippett, also at Michigan State. Yep, sure. Played very physical with Harry all game. Really disrupt him off the line. A lot of safety uh, rotation over the top just to prevent those big plays. But they really didn't give him those yak opportunities like they did in week one. They didn't get him the ball ASAP and see if he can create with the ball in his hands. Right. So they just had a little bit of a different game plan. Michigan State tried to take him away. They just had some miss, uh, you know, timing with Manny Wilkins throughout the game. He had a really nice slant where he showed some suddenness, crossed the face of Lane, had a very nice back shoulder, and then that contested touchdown down the field, which uh, obviously got that stadium rocking and tied the game and eventually you know, let them uh, be in position for a game-winning field goal as time expired. But now he was very physical. He's such a filled-out frame. See him in mm. person. You could see his muscles bulging in his arms. He's got some pythons up there. Very filled out. Reminds me a little bit of Alshon Jeffrey. Okay. A little bit more of a Des Bryant even. Mm. And just those physical, rocked-up receivers that aren't necessarily winning with route running and the nuances of playing receiver, but more of winning with physicality and size Mm. and strong hands and winning those contested catch situations, high-pointing the ball, slants, back shoulders. It's going to be a red zone nightmare. And uh, it's just interesting to see if he's going to be able to develop more of a route running tree and some nuances in his route running and setting up defensive backs with leverages and improving his releases as well. So seeing him in person, did you get the sense that he moved well enough that teams will have him highly regarded coming out because I only ask this because we've seen this past year and we don't know if Harry's going to be this year's draft or the the year after but um, we saw Simi Cobbs go undrafted big bodied kid who out muscle people Uh, the Iowa State kid whose name I'm kind of Alan Lazard Lazard. yep Lazard he went undrafted another big bodied kid and a lot of those other big bodied kids maybe they didn't go undrafted but they went later than people thought do you think that he's more in that group, or do you think he goes in like that Mike Williams, not saying that top 10, but he's going to be in those big-bodied receivers that end up going in the top 50 picks? Yeah, I think he's more in the Mike Williams, Laquan Treadwell style sure, of yep. receiver. I think he's much more explosive. I do worry about his route running. I do worry about his ability to accelerate and have that extra gear to go get the ball down the field and to set up defensive backs and winning with the route and not so much winning with physicality all game long. It would be interesting to see where his season goes. If I had to guess, he's going to come out this year as Mm -hmm. a junior. Yeah, I'll be interested because he's a guy like with the things. I haven't studied him yet, but based off everything you said, a lot of the things that he needs to get better at, he can get better at in college. Like, Especially with her, you know, Herm Edwards is there. Herm Edwards has ties all around the league. Like, This is a guy who's obviously been in the NFL. He's been around the NFL for his whole life. He can get you ready. Like if, if, if there's certain things that you want to hone in your game on, like that that would be an area. I'm excited to see whether or not this kid decides to stay. I'm excited to continue watching him. Um, let's talk about real quick uh, on the defensive side for the Sun Devils. Uh, Rennell Wren is a guy that 
was on the freak list for Bruce Feldman for the Athletic. Uh, that's really kind of how he first popped up on my on my radar. And then uh, he's been on some lists since then. I know he was on the Senior Bowl watch list. Uh, some people have him pretty highly rated. What was he like in person? How do you see him transitioning to the NFL? Yeah, he's very athletic, 300-pound interior defensive lineman. Actually shedded some pounds this offseason to get more athletic and quicker off the ball. And we saw that with some of his freak list numbers in his uh, offseason workouts. Very, very explosive off the ball. His get-off was very elite. There was a bunch of clips going around Twitter where he jacked the uh, center number 70 back on his butt, I want to say, three or four times really? uh, throughout the game. So you just saw him fly across the line of scrimmage and really ag- engaging the offensive lineman, hitting that initial stab and winning inside with his hands and, and really just surprising the offensive lineman with his quickness off the ball. Surprised me as well. He really flashed on the tape. And then Arizona State and their pressure schemes, they don't have a lot of guys that can win one-on-one. So there's a lot of movement, a lot of twists, a lot of mic scrapes, a lot of defensive end games as well. So he just moves very well to move in a pressure package as well for being a 6'5", 300-pound interior lineman. So it's very intriguing to see his potential as not only a run defender, but the ways you can move him around and the way he moves around in pressure packages getting after the quarterback. How do you think that he, just seeing off the small sample size you've seen, what, what position do you think he probably projects best to at the next level? I could see him playing three-tech in the NFL. Okay. Uh, I think he's going to be just a little bit light to hang at one-tech. And I think his quickness off the ball will really intrigue NFL scouts and to show his versatility and that he can play both the run and the pass. One thing I saw late yesterday that we, you and I didn't get a chance to talk about, it looked like L.J. Scott, there's talk about maybe uh, an injury with him, a hamstring that coming out of this game. Um, I know you had mentioned that he was kind of split some split carries, but uh, thoughts seeing L.J. Scott in person. This is the running back from Michigan State, a senior. Uh, I, I like him on film. You like him on film as well. Uh, thoughts after seeing him in person again? Yeah, I was happy he came back for a senior year. Uh, he could have come out last year in a very diluted running back class, so I'm happy he came back. He was suspiciously absent in the game. He actually came out with a leg injury, but wasn't down, didn't have to be helped off, didn't make a scene about it, so no one really knew what happened to him. We just attributed it to him splitting time with actually Ironhead Hayward's son, Connor, who's also a, a nice young player from Michigan State. Scott looked very good on a screenplay in the game. He only had seven carries for 19 yards. I don't mm-hmm. think the leg injury is going to be too serious, so I hope he could still you know, be that workhorse back because Michigan State really needs it. Yeah, and then let's talk about the guy who's uh, throwing all those passes to Nikhil Harry, the quarterback for Arizona State, Manny Wilkins, a guy uh, I just wrote up in this this past week's Saturday scouting article. Yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch. He came out for pregame warm-ups, tons of energy, going around to every position group, trying to get the fans fired up. It was a blackout. They were in their cool uniforms. He's just a great college quarterback. He's about 6'3 or so, just a shade over 200, 205, 210. He's got mobility. He's just a college quarterback. He's streaky. He's a gamer. He's going to struggle for a half and then all of a sudden light it up in the second half and give his team a chance to win. Mm. He's always going to keep his team in games. And just like this game against Michigan State where things weren't clicking for nearly three, three and a half quarters, he just hung in there. He had the confidence in his guys. He knew he was going to keep going after Nikhil Harry. There was even a younger receiver that kept having running the wrong routes. And I love the fire out of Manny Wilkins. He got right in this receiver's face on two different occasions saying, we had miscommunication. You didn't run what you were supposed to run out there. And I just love seeing that leadership on the field and the communications. And he'll always give his receivers chances. And I love those type of quarterbacks that if you see a single high and you get one-on-ones on the outside and you have these gazelle beast receivers like a Nikhil Harry, I have to give that guy a shot. And I just love quarterbacks that aren't gun-shy. And like we saw that game-winning touchdown, Nikhil Harry, that was tight coverage. Justin Lane was hip-to-hip with mm-hmm. him. But unless you give him a shot, you won't be able to see those very impressive contested catches that uh, Harry brings down. Uh, so I ask you this every week. One play takeaway. What was the one play you're walking away from this game uh, really kind of stands out most in your mind? You know, I'm going to go back to Nikhil Harry, and my one play takeaway isn't the nice slant for a first down or the back shoulder in the fourth quarter or even the game-winning touchdown catch. In the middle of the game, he ran a slant route that went right through his hands. It was a little hot, a little high, and got absolutely smashed by the safety coming down. Is this the play you sent me the video of? Yes, I yeah, did. Okay. As soon as it happened, yeah. I let you know. I said, Harry just got smashed. The safety put his helmet right under his chin. It was a clean hit and absolutely lit up Harry. Harry got up before the defender. Yep. And you get to see Harry was mad at himself that he didn't catch the ball. And almost like just swatting off a fly on his shoulder, 
He didn't even think about the hit. He was upset at himself for not catching the ball. And just to see that toughness and that swagger and that attitude that, yeah, I just got smashed across the middle. I just took it right on the chin. I'm okay. Next play. Let's go. Mm-hmm. My team needs me. I like that. I like that. All right. So uh, every week I ask you about the one play takeaway. Mm-hmm. We're going to introduce a new category every week I'm going to ask you. I'm just going to keep adding these on as we uh, go mm-hmm. through the year here. The off-the-bus guy. Who's the guy that when you go out there for pregame warm-ups and you just see it before you even see him touch a ball, you say, this guy looks the part. That's the, this is the first guy. This is what people say in football. is the first guy you want coming off the bus for your team uh, to kind of represent who you are. Yeah, and uh, pregame warm-ups, as I was hanging there waiting for Nikhil Harry to come out and warm up, the entire Michigan State team pretty much passed right by me. Uh, so I had a pretty good look at every player on the roster. And i got to tell you, Senior tight end Matt Sokol, 6'6", 260, 265 in every bit of those heights and weights. Hmm. This guy just looked great, broad, long arms, big-bodied kid. He just looked like a football player. Is he the most athletic tight end? Probably not. He's very much a Big Ten-style tight end. He'll put his hand in the dirt, bit of a road grader. He'll block at the point of attack. He can work him in on some play-action elements. He isn't that explosive. He isn't that dynamic of a player. But he just looks the part. Mm. And in his jersey, in his pads, he's a big, good-looking football player. I expect him to go in some late rounds, maybe an undrafted camp body, and we'll see if we can work him in at tight end with NFL teams. But Matt Sokol, senior tight end, very good-looking kid. All right, so let's put that that game to bed now. Let's look ahead to this week. Uh, obviously, a lot of games right now up in the air in terms of this weather situation is something that we'll continue to monitor, and you hope everybody's able to stay safe and makes good decisions and everything. But um, this week's matchup, you're not going to be on the East Coast. Uh, tell us where you're going to be here uh, for week three. Yeah, we're actually going to be making a return visit to Ames, Iowa for Oklahoma at Iowa State, the big rematch from last year where Iowa State actually knocked off Oklahoma in Oklahoma to spoil their undefeated season. So I know Oklahoma definitely circled this game on the, on the schedule, and uh, they, they have some revenge to pay. Yeah, so the, the biggest name, honestly, from a draft standpoint, at least that we know of right now in this game, isn't for the Sooners. Uh, it's the for Iowa State. It's running back David Montgomery, who's an underclassman, uh, so definitely could go back for another year. But a, a guy that you know, a lot of people are really, really excited about from a media standpoint. I haven't yet studied him. I know you've seen him. What are your thoughts overall on his game and what he's going to bring to the table here on Saturday? Yeah, I've watched a lot of his tape. I've watched nearly all of his 2017 tape on the plane last week coming home from Arizona State. 5'11", 219-pound junior from Ohio, under-recruited. He was only a three-star kid. I think he only had one Power 5 offer to Purdue, a couple other offers as well around Ohio, I think Akron and Bowling Green and some local schools. He actually led the country in broken tackles last year. This guy has great contact balance. He works his stiff arm. He's got subtle open field moves like jukes and shakes. Loves making the first guy miss. I know that's a trait you value with running backs, especially when studying these prospects. I see a lot of that Kareem Hunt. That John Kelly style of running back who we saw last year at Tennessee. I think That's my a, jam. Yeah, he's a third-round grade right now from scouts over the summer, which I thought was a little low. I had him more in the second round. Mm. Maybe can squeeze into the back end of round one with a huge season this year. Okay. He was also a, a dual-threat quarterback in high school. And the thing with Iowa State, you'll see him do a lot. He'll motion to the slot quite often. He'll motion outside the numbers. I think he's a very natural pass catcher. You just want to get him the ball. He's a good blocker, good pass pro. The thing is, he's so involved in the pass game, he's got a couple drops. He's mm. got ones that will hit him in the hands occasionally and drop it. It happens. Anytime you're going to get a high volume of, of targets, occasionally there's going to be a drop or two or a boneheaded concentration drop, but it's collective body of work, and he has very good hands, and he's a guy you just want to get the ball in his hands. The two areas of concern, number one, his career against Oklahoma, who is probably the most dominant defense in the Big 12, maybe TCU, in his career, the two games, he only has 27 carries for 99 yards. That's three and a half average. Yep. We'd like to see him improve against the quality competition. And the other concerns are his top end speed. Is he a home run hitter? Also, is he dancing and bouncing a little bit too mm-hmm. much? Has quite a few tackles for I loss. I heard that, yep. But that's also something we heard from a very interesting prospect last year, Saquon Barkley. Yep. And sure. when you really start to dissect some of these running backs and nitpick, yeah, you can find some areas to improve on. Should he stick his nose in a little bit more? But if his best attribute is his open field moves and making guys miss, that's what he hangs his hat on, and that's where he makes a lot of his money. There's also a little bit of a concern with his durability, with his physical style, and the way he likes to extend plays and run around. 
I think he had nearly 300 touches last year. I have 294 as I list. That's Jeez. 11th in the country. Yep. Not just running backs. That's running backs, quarterbacks, dual threat guys. So he's got a lot of tread on those tires. So the durability is definitely going to be a question. And when I see those touches, that's what makes me think maybe as a junior, he's going to be looking to come out after his junior season to maybe preserve his legs. Interesting. Uh, and he's certainly uh, a big name to watch in this game. But uh, another guy that is, is a participant here in this Iowa State offense, the wide receiver, Hakeem Butler. Uh, we talked about Alan Lazard earlier. Butler kind of is kind of taking the reins there, a big oversized slot from what I understand of his game. Have you watched him? What are your overall thoughts on him and what he's going to bring here Saturday? Yeah, this kid, Hakeem Butler, is very interesting. 6'6", 225, very good-looking kid. He's really built more like a power forward. Uh, he had six plays of 50 yards last year. He's an over-the-top guy. He's a double-move guy. He's very explosive. Reminds me a little bit of South Florida's Marquez Valdez-Scantling last year. Whoa. Who was 6'5 and ran sub 4'4. That's a big deal. Yeah, who's no a size question. and speed nightmare. He's this now, kid can run like that? He's very fast. I expect okay. him to run sub 5. Or, that, excuse that was, me, sub 4'5. I mean, that was the kid. The problem with Lazard was Lazard ran like 4'6s. Exactly, yeah. But this kid can run. I saw Lazard as more of a big bodied receiver, almost like a, a move tight end more than a wide receiver, but is Butler how I viewed run. Alan Lazard. But right. Hakeem Butler, I see much more of a wiry, over the top guy. Marquez Valdez Scantley was a guy. There's a guy we talked about quite a bit last year, New Mexico State's Jaleel Scott, yeah. who was 6'5, 215, ran a 4.56. Coincidentally, Hakeem Butler chose Iowa State over New Mexico there State, and that's where Jaleel Scott was. So obviously, New Mexico State has a certain style and taste yep. of receiver. And this guy, uh, Hakeem Butler, has put up some mind boggling numbers in the offseason as well. He's in the weight room, 340 pound bench, 450 pound squat, 11 1 broad jump. 37-inch vertical. Yeah, right. He's got some explosion in his legs. He's very intriguing. I know they came off a loss last week to uh, their rival, Iowa. He only had three catches. Bit of an underperformance. He only has 50 catches in his two seasons prior to 2018, but like you were saying, with Lazard gone, hoping to get a little bit more production. So you mentioned some of those athletic numbers for Hakeem Butler. One guy that ended up on both of our watch lists in terms of who we're excited to see uh, moving forward into this year Oklahoma defensive tackle Neville Gallimore, who I had no idea who he was, and then he's on Bruce Feldman's freak list, and you see these like numbers, and you'll share these. Just crazy, like eye-popping what this kid can do at his size. Uh, introduced us now to Neville Gallimore. Well, Neville Gallimore, you go to the football hotbed to St. Catharines, Ontario, to find Neville Gallimore. Right. I mean, I, you don't, you can't recruit. You can't like <laughs> say that you're a good recruit, a good recruiter uh, of talent. If you're not going into that into that town to pull out some some of the best players, no question. Stoops had a brave snowstorm actually to go recruit him a couple of years ago. Yeah, do what you got to do. Three thirty, mind-boggling workout numbers. Now you always take these with a grain of salt. They're at the school. Sure, I'm sure the forty-yard dash is like thirty-eight yards downhill, wind assisted. <laughs> but if you're going to tell me a three hundred and thirty-pound D tackle ran a four seven six forty. A four seven six. If he ran four nine six, no it's question. Still it's like even yeah. if you're making that up, I, I don't even understand how you would come up with that. An eight hundred pound squat. A couple of his teammates said they saw him squatting five hundred pounds twenty four times. <laughs> I don't know what to believe on some of these numbers, but they're eye popping. They make me write his name down. There's a star, an asterisk. He's highlighted. He's on my watch list. But he's playing, right? Like he's he is absolutely yeah. playing. Okay. And actually, they're a little bit thin in depth behind him, so he's yeah. being forced to play a little bit more. We saw him last week against UCLA. He was sudden, explosive. A lot of times I like watching those defensive tackles from the sideline angle to see who's first across the ball. And this guy just flew off the ball, really likes to engage offensive linemen. And now he's starting to use his hands a little bit more with some push pulls against UCLA. Mm. Had a really nice play in the backfield that somebody else cleaned up for the sack. What is this kid like? So you've seen, you've watched, I haven't watched a lick. Like I haven't watched Oklahoma yet this year. Are we saying like he's like could be like a legit player? I think he definitely has some tools and some traits and some freaky, God-given abilities and athleticism to work with. And in the trenches, it stands out. When okay. somebody moves like that at 300 pounds and is light on their feet and has some flexibility, they stand out on the tape. Nice. And this is a guy that just plays from tackle to tackle at a different speed than everybody else. I know uh, defensive coordinator Mike Stoops has praised him. He wants him to start a little bit faster in games. It's a little bit slow those first couple drives and getting yep. a feel of the game. So I'm interested to see this week how he starts in the first quarter, especially since Mike Stoops is kind of calling him out and wants him to perform right away. 
But uh, regardless, very interesting prospect. He's only a redshirt junior, so he's got a year you know left of eligibility. Yep. But definitely somebody NFL scouts are going to be intrigued with studying this spring. So uh, a lot to be excited about here in that matchup in the Big 12. I'm going to have my eyes in the SEC. There's a couple of really interesting ones. We talked about uh, the Alabama Ole Miss game with Tony earlier. Uh, LSU-Auburn, to me, is an exciting matchup. You've got Foster Moreau, uh, a tight end that you and I both watched from the, uh, from the Bayou Bengals. Feisty blocker, really used well in the point of attack. Going up against this Auburn front seven, a lot of talent there. The defensive line, you know, Marlon Davidson is an underclassman. Uh, Derek Brown, an underclassman. Dontavious Russell is an intriguing senior. But I want to watch him against these linebackers, both in space and in the run game. Deshaun Davis is kind of a throwback Mike backer, uh, undersized, squatty, but instinctive and physical. And then Darrell Williams, I expect these guys to get matched up a little bit in coverage. Darrell Williams, the Sam backer in their base, and he'll play a nickel and dime. He's got a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more length. I think he's got the ability to shadow tight ends in coverage. So uh, I'm interested to see Foster Moreau against this Auburn defense. It's a fun matchup early on in the season. Um, so yeah, a lot of interesting stuff that we'll be able to hit on here. Yeah, and one other guy in my game, I just wanted to get in Marquise Brown for Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. No question, speedy junior wide receiver from South Florida, five ten, one hundred and seventy pounds from Chaminade Madonna High School. A couple familiar names: John Beeson, Kamar Aiken, Kerry Williams. Hotbed school down in South good. Florida. This okay. guy is very fast, zero to sixty instantly. Can start and stop. We question if he has those natural hands or not, or if he's just an athlete playing football. He's so explosive. He's very explosive. Yes. It's fun to watch. I'm questioning his ability for yards after catch because he's so slight. He's not very tough. Yep. Doesn't handle contact very well. He's very similar to D.D. Westbrook, hmm. who had a lot of similar traits, a lot of double move you know, action in the Big 12 and that wide open offense. He was a fourth-round pick in 2017. I could see Marquise Brown being another intriguing mid-round pick. He's only a junior, though, but definitely somebody to watch. Yeah, he stood out watching Baker Mayfield uh, last fall and over the course of the offseason. Well, Ben, uh, we'll dive into a lot more of these matchups in the Saturday Scouting article, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or obviously on my Twitter feed, at FDuffy3. Ben, he'll be back next week. We'll recap all of this. We'll talk about whatever your matchup is in week four. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. Time to wrap this podcast up with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so this week we're going to go to Twitter where we got a couple of questions. I talked about Rob Statton's question earlier with Tony Pauline for Steven Montez. we got a couple other good ones. Uh, Luke McKenna, Luke MCUK, checked in on Twitter. Top five O-linemen who can start relatively early but are unlikely to be first-round picks. This is a good question. It is a little bit early for it, but... What I'll, I'll say, based off the guys that I've watched so far, there are some interesting names. And uh, this this O-line group overall is a group I'm pretty high on. You know, I mentioned uh, Derwin Gray from Maryland. I've talked about him before on this podcast, and I think that he's a top 50 type selection. Tony doesn't really think so. He thinks he could be a day two, day three guy. I say Derwin Gray, Derwin Gray as a future starter, though, and certainly a guy uh, that I th- think has starting potential. Uh, Mitch Hyatt from Clemson, the left tackle there, I think he's got a shot uh, to be a starter. Or sooner rather than later. Uh, there are a couple other guys as well. Michael Jordan is the center this year for uh, for Ohio State. He has experience at guard as well. He's a big-bodied kid. That positional versatility will serve him well. He's a junior, though, so we'll see if he decides to go back. I really like Zach Bailey, who's probably a day two, early day three pick from South Carolina. He's got guard tackle versatility. I like him best inside. He's a mauler. He's tough. He's smart. He's experienced. There's a lot to like there with Zach Bailey. Chris Lindstrom is a guard tackle from Boston College as well. I think that he's got uh, that versatility, but you really probably like him more on the inside as well. I like Chris Lindstrom uh, and a lot of the things that he brings to the table. I, more, most recently, I just watched Max Sharping, uh, the left tackle from Northern Illinois. Another kid with, with versatility. He played left tackle and right tackle and right guard over the course of his career. Probably more of a backup. I've only watched one game so far. I watched him against Iowa from earlier this season. Uh, I want to see if he's got that power, that ability to move uh, people consistently off the ball. Are his feet quick enough to be able to handle uh, pass protection on the perimeter? But Max Sharping was a guy I kind of liked, and I do see him as a future NFL player. So uh, that would certainly be one area that I would look at. And then we got one more question uh, Taylor Bolden at TBolt10 on Twitter. Gentlemen, after one week of play, what do you think is the Eagles' biggest weakness, and what prospects would you think would fill that void the best? Uh, so, Taylor, thanks for the question. 
I wouldn't say we're going to look at it and say, all right, what are the biggest weaknesses? Because there's obviously a ton of time left here, and we're going to see how things play out. And the draft, it's not again, it's not necessarily about best available player and addressing needs. It's about who are the best players that you know you can find. You know, it's not necessarily about trying to plug holes. You're trying to add the best players to your roster, supplement what you already have. But you know, overall, I think you're going to look at a couple different positions. You know, is there uh, can you can you're always going to continue to add offensive linemen uh, to the to the Eagles roster, regardless of how they feel about guys like we know we saw Jordan Mailata and you saw Big V and you see Isaac Sayamalo they've got young players that they've continued to add to this roster but you're always going to look to add offensive line Matt Pryor you'd throw into that group as well so you're always looking at O-line the defensive line is a little bit older as well you're going to continue to add there you're going to add in the secondary at at safety Um, you know linebacker are you going to keep adding pieces there I don't think that they're going to go into this though let's just say for instance that they say you know hey we, we really need a running back we have to make sure we draft one in the first round Taylor I don't think that that's the way that Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas and Andy Weil, that's not the way that they run business. They're going to go in wherever they're picking in the first round. Whoever the best player is that's there, they're going to take them unless they've got a great offer to be able to move down and they don't lose much value. Otherwise, they're going to they're going to do that. So, you know, I don't think that they're necessarily going to go in and say, all right, who are, where are the needs that we need to address with this football team? It's more about how can we get the best possible players on this roster. So uh, that's how I think that they're going to address that going in. It's obviously very, very, very early. So uh, we'll see in terms of what positions we really kind of focus in on as we get through the process. So great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel and Pete Sampson and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.